This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm teaming up with the website Rewire.News to explore the intersection of their work and mine on a brand new podcast called Get It Right. On Get It Right, we explore pop culture through the lens of justice, and particularly reproductive justice. I'll be talking to critics and creators about comics, movies, TV, music, anything is fair game. You can find it now on iTunes or Stitcher to search for Get It Right or Rewire. Give it a listen and drop us a review with any ideas for what you'd like to hear us cover. See you soon. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. My name is Teresa Fitzemley and I play Fizi Kavanaugh on Midnight Texas. You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. What up? This is Luke James, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Oh, yeah. This is Mark Bernard, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Felicia D. Henderson. I'm the co-creator of BET's The Quad, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Reggae Jean Page. I play Chicken George in Roots, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Sanaya Sydney, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Jada Pinkett Smith, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PC. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda rhymes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Yeah. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Thanks for tuning into episode 124 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Luke James 2.0, Amy Aniobi, and Teen Wolf. Three incredible segments. In our first segment, we are doing a redo. We invite Luke James back. Let me explain. Our last episode, 123, featured Luke James in about a 15 to 20 minute interview. But that wasn't the whole entire interview because a majority of that did get compromised in recording. So we asked him to come back and re-record, and he said yes. So here is the full interview available for you, which will be featured in our first segment with singer, songwriter, actor Luke James. In our second segment, we invite writer-producer Amy Aniobi of HBO's Insecure. HBO's Insecure is one of the hottest shows on the network, which airs every Sunday night, 
at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and Amy talks about the show's creation and her little cameo last week where she's twerking and playing a flute at the same time. That segment is co-hosted by Joy and featuring myself. In our third segment, over at San Diego Comic Con, Kendall is in a series of roundtable interviews with some of the cast and crew from Teen Wolf, Jeff Davis, Kylan Rambo, and Tyler Posey. So thanks for tuning in to episode 124 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Be sure to spread the word and let everybody know where they can listen to our shows. And check out the BGM podcast hashtag over on Twitter. That allows you to jump into the conversation with other podcast listeners of our show. So enjoy BGN 124, Luke James 2.0, Amy Aniobi, and Teen Wolf. Two-time Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Luke James started his musical career singing background for R&B artists. He's worked with plenty. Chris Brown, Britney Spears, Carrie Hilson, and Justin Bieber, just to name a few. And in addition to being a songwriter, he's also a singer. James released his first mixtape, Luke, in 2011. The mixtape's critically acclaimed single, I Want You, earned him Best R&B Performance nomination at the 56th Annual Grammy Awards. In addition to his work as a singer, he's also an actor. He appeared on the TV biopic of the R&B Sextet New Edition and BET's The New Edition Story. On February 21st of this year, James denounced on Twitter the title of his second album, which will be called Joy. Welcome to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Very excited for this guest. This is a guest that um, we have tweeted to, and he's tweeted us back. And he's also someone who's very well known in the music world. And you may have caught him this past week on HBO's Insecure. We have singer, songwriter, actor Luke James here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Luke, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Great intro. Thank you for the intro. That's awesome. (laughs) You deserve it. Um, And we have our lovely co-hosts, Joy, KB, Kayla, and Grace. Thank you, ladies, so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, I had mentioned in the intro that we saw you on Insecure this past Sunday, and a lot of fans were pleasantly surprised by your cameo. Um, <laughs> so, so what was it like being on that show and uh, working with Issa Rae? Um, it was really cool. Uh, it was uh, a one-day kind of thing, um, and it was uh, I was surrounded by women. It was pretty awesome. It was. <laughs> Pretty awesome uh, to see it this way. Um, yeah, I had a great time. Issa, Issa was magical, very warm. I mean, everyone was just really warm. The environment is really, really um, supportive and and uh, creative. So yeah, I had a, I had a good time. I, I hope I hope I hope they invite me back. We we hope they do too. Listen, I right. saw. <laughs> I saw the tweets, and I know you were looking at them because you were liking a few of those. How did you feel about the reaction from fans seeing your appearance? Um, 
I felt uh, it was it was kind of surprising because I rem- I knew I was I knew I knew my episode was coming on to yesterday, but I was on a flight, um, and I had a hard day of travel, and so I kind of forgot about it. And so when I got off my flight, and I got all the D- DMs and all that, uh, the notices, it was just it was kind of overwhelming and uh, pretty awesome to see that people like the character. I mean, the little bit that they got to see, <laughs> it was really dope. It was. <laughs> I mean, and I hadn't seen I hadn't seen the scene, so I really didn't know what to expect. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. It was, I, and again, I, I really hope they do bring you back because people were going crazy on on social media when they saw you when we were live tweeting last night. Yeah, I saw somebody somebody said something about Ben Hive. That was pretty cool. I was like, I, 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 <laughs> I'm with that. <laughs> Now you're you are a man of many talents because in addition to acting, you're a songwriter, you're a singer, um, and you've written songs for a ton of artists. Is there a music artist that you haven't yet worked with that you'd love to partner with? And also, how do you channel your creativity as a writer? Um, there's quite a few people I would say. It'd be kind of hard for me to mention all of them because. Um, some may not come to mind right away. Um, James Blake. Uh, shoot. There's so many people. Jay-Z. <laughs> Jay-Z, yeah. Jigga Man, for sure. Kanye, for sure. Wayne. Uh, Juvenile. Shoot. Let me see. Um, Ocean. Um, Miguel. My brother, Ro James. We haven't done nothing yet. Or at least something that's come out yet. So yeah, I mean the list goes on. The list goes on. Raphael Sadiq. Um, yes, that would be hot. Right that there. would be hot. Make that happen. Yeah, we got to make that happen. I like that y'all like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, he's killing it on Insecure too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man, he's pretty solid. I had I had to text him, tell him thank you for uh, for the nice mellow music. Appreciate it. <laughs> On my scene, but uh, yeah, what what I mean, what was the other question? So, <laughs> that's, how do you channel your your creativity as a writer? I, um, I, I don't, you know, I don't. I, it, it happens for me different ways. Um, sometimes I don't, I don't uh, channel it. I mean, knowingly channel it myself. Sometimes it just happens. It just comes to me within a day, in a moment in the shower. Uh, I don't know. It just happens. And I, and hopefully I have a recorder or something to write down real, that I can write it, write the thoughts down real quick. Um, and if I'm working with someone, sometimes it, most times it comes out of a conversation. Um, sitting there with an artist, you know, you just, some writers like to sit and have conversations with the artist, get to know the artist before they start um, creating um, and I'm one of those people. I, w- I like to sit down and get to know and have conversations and, you know, find out how, how like-minded we are or how much of their mind I have to jump into, you know, and try to imagine, fathom their experiences to help better better uh, tell their story. Um, for me, it's not that deep. Um, it's just a matter of how honest do I want to be. So, yeah, that made sense. I hope it makes sense. Yes, it did. Excellent. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Luke. KB here. KB, what's up? Hey, how are you? So 
Um, you know, everyone saw you kind of grace the screen as Johnny Gill in the new edition story, and you did such a wonderful job. So uh, my question is, if someone were to do a film or, you know, kind of a TV movie about you, who <laughs> would you want to play you in that film? Shoot. Denzel Knight. I mean, he's looked so... <laughs> I feel like if 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 we can CGI, you know, <laughs> I I would definitely go with Mr. Washington. Um, who could play me? Wow, I don't know. I would I would I would I would try to pick from from my my cast, my my co-stars, the uh, the littles, um, uh, from New Edition, the um, the ones that played the younger versions of New Edition. I'd pick out of that that uh that casting to get somebody to play me. That's cute. Know. Yeah. And they're just they're just getting started, and by the time you know this potentially yep. around, they'd be the right age, you know. Yep. And they know me, so you know yeah. it'd be authentic. So it'd be pretty, it'd be pretty cool. So I would I would choose out of I would I would choose out of the littles, yeah. Okay, and so um, you know. I, I feel like you're probably, you're on your way, and we can talk a little bit more about, like, creating a new album and uh, a new sound. So how did growing up in Louisiana really influence your music? Um, well, you know, New Orleans is, I mean, a lot of people know New Orleans for, for the, for just jazz and, and, and only food. Um, and, <laughs> but, 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 but the really good food. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which you, I can't blame them at all. Um. But but growing up in New Orleans, I mean, you have a different experience, you know. I mean, good food is every day. Um, jazz is just everywhere, and there's so many other styles and genres of music that you're kind of born within. You know, you're just surrounded by everything: country, folk, zydeco, bounce music, hip hop, R&B, soul, gospel, you know, uh, blues. I mean, it just keeps going. You just can't help but to be surrounded by it. Um, and I guess it's just a matter of, uh, are you willing to hear it or not? And I heard it. I heard it when I was a kid. I was the only child, so so I kind of had a lot of time on my <laughs> on my hands. And uh, music was kind of, I would think of music as like a sibling, you know, um, something that was always there for me uh, to keep me out of trouble or when I needed to get into trouble, if you will. Would you ever put Zotico like influences? Because I listen to a lot of Zotico. So would you put, you know, any of those influences into a record at some point? I'm pretty much open. Um, I, I can't say no. I, I'm 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 a student. I'm a student of music. So honestly, whatever happens, if the spirit jumps in the room and it happens to be in love with Zotico, then therefore I will put Zotico inside <laughs> the music. You know? Yeah. Cool. So, this is Grace, Luke. Great talking with you. Um, so, outside of acting and singing, if we could, like, you know, get a day in the life of Luke James, what is, like, an ideal either work day or chill day for you? Um, let's see. Okay, today I woke up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I woke up. I woke up with the intentions of hitting the gym. I hit the gym late last night when I got in town. Um, but I said that I would not tire myself out the night before so I can kick my ass in the morning. I didn't wake up. Um, instead, I woke up to a bunch of text messages and I was late for my lobby call. Um, so I got down to the van. The van took me to set. I'm filming um, a TV show 
well, now everyone knows I'm filming Star uh, down here in Atlanta. And so I had a fitting today. So I went in for that. We tried on a bunch of clothes, jeans, different pairs of white jeans, because it's got to be the right jeans, you know. (laughs) Uh, Everything, hats, this, that, and the third. Then went on set to meet the cast and share my love and admiration for all of them and the director. Um, Got on a phone call, (laughs) a couple calls, a couple emails about music and other films, and got to notice that I will be on a podcast with some beautiful young ladies to talk All about right. yes. some stuff, you know? So. Yes. Flattery will get you everywhere. Okay. <laughs> All the cool points. I All love how cool. you just walked us in the day in the life of Luke James. Yes. <laughs> that was fantastic. That's, that's a great day. It's a great day. Yeah. And so... Noah, seeing that you like clearly are on your grind all the time, you know, you you hustling, you pushing boundaries with R and B music, with you know acting. Um, so, from the experiences that you've had and will you know continue to have, what type of advice, you know, musically, business wise, would you give to folks like embarking this type of career or just kind of like life kind of advice? Because you you clearly you know it, it looks like you got it together, and so um, yeah. yeah, how would you kind of like? put that in a bottle and like distribute that how would you um i would say i i kind i it well i'm glad it looks like i got it together thank you (laughs) (laughs) it's all the front uh yeah you know i mean it's pretty much um overwhelming this lifestyle is pretty much overwhelming so expect that get used to that um there's a lot of fearful moments but um I like to believe I cruise on my fears, so you use it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, surround yourself around like-minded people, smarter people, people who are smarter than you. There are people out there who are smarter than you. Listen to them. Right. Um, uh, always learn. Always be a student. You want to be a student, you know? I mean, the teaching part comes will come to you, but I want to always be a student of life, you know? And as long as you stay open and you acknowledge all the signs, um, acknowledge your first voice, you know, the very voice that tells you when you leave out your house to kick your foot, catch the door before it closes, and when you open that door, there goes your keys and your phone and your wallet sitting on the table and you almost was locked out and missed your appointment and all that kind of stuff. That's the first voice. I like to think of that voice as God. Mm -hmm. Um, Acknowledge that voice um, and acknowledge the glass ceiling because you will meet it and... You will have to make, as a business, as a as the boss of your goals and dreams, um, you will have to acknowledge the uh, the glass ceiling, and you will have to be the one to shatter it. And that may mean you have to say goodbye to certain people who are who are beneficial to your life um, and to where you where you've come from and where you are. But sometimes, you know, like. Most times people, you know, it's a season. People are seasoned. So you have to learn how to move forward um, with love uh, and uh, and grow. So don't be afraid of change at all. Um, think of life like jazz. You know, that's just what it is, baby. Just, I like that. Just keep moving. <laughs> life is like jazz. Okay. Right. 
Hi, Luke. It's Joy. How are you? Joy. What's up? Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm, like, blushing right now. Got a little <laughs> goosebump just from that little melody. <laughs> right? Just that one melody. <laughs> Woo. Yes. That was too much. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> so, you singing actually segues into my, my one question. So... I mentioned on Twitter that it was ironic that we got to get a nice little cameo from Bro last time we spoke because yeah. when we did the BGM playlist and it was my turn, I put Ro's uh, song Already Knew That on my playlist because I love it very, very much. Yes, So um, if you made a playlist like, say, the BGM playlist, what are like two or three songs that would be staples for you? Um. At your best, Aaliyah version. Oh. Mm-hmm. I would say Stevie Wonder, um, Rocket Love. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, Biking, Frank Ocean, featuring <laughs> <laughs> Z and. Tyler, creator. I only said it because I was just listening to it, and that's the jam right now. So, biking is pretty tight. So, I mean, that's the first three, and then you know, we're gonna mix it on up with some Prince, D'Angelo, Shakhtan, um, Daniel Caesar. Let's see who else we can throw it. Ro, Ro James, a whole bunch of that. <laughs> you know, just, you know, it'd be a lot. It'd be a lot of soulful vibrations going on, but. I'm pretty much chill, so my music kind of represents music I like kind of represents that. That's dope. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, this is Kayla. Kayla, what's up? <laughs> what's up? So, um, first off, a lot of points because you said "Rocket Love," and that is one of my favorite Stevie Wonder songs, next to "Overjoyed." So, yeah. yeah. Um. But you mentioned that you had a, you know, really hard travel days. So, you know, self-care is a really big thing, making sure that your mind and your soul and your body is right. What do you do in those steps to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? Let me see. Um, Sleep. I sleep. I I try to sleep. I try to oversleep. Um, uh, That's most important. I don't think a lot of people get a lot of sleep. You need sleep. Um, lots of water. Uh, buku water, you know. Um, let me see. What else do I do to take care of myself? I take my time. My time, you know. Just like, you know, uh, Miss Maxine. I take my time. Reclaiming my time. Yes. Reclaim my time. Yes. <laughs> yes. You got to claim your time. You know, you just got to you know, break away. Have a moment to yourself. Um, that's really, really all you can do in my lifestyle. Yeah. You got to just not, not be afraid to take your moments to just chill, do nothing, absolutely nothing. And just let your body rest give yourself a bath, uh, eat some really good food. And I don't mean bad, good food. I mean like really good stuff that just makes you feel good and sets the tone for your for your week I'm, I'm assuming this is like a saturday and sunday kind of vibe where you want to just okay this weekend i'm gonna chill I'm not doing anything 
I think it's like you owe it to yourself to give yourself those two days to break into the week. So, like, yeah, do those kinds of things. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. That's kind of what I do. I do. <laughs> I don't know how I explained that well. Nope, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can repeat it back because, you know, our, our editor here, you know, in chief, Miss Miss Jamie, is always going. So we're going to always tell her to slow it down. Right. Make sure she reclaims her time. Oh, yeah. That's true. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> no, you, you know, I, I just take my time and just just take a deep breath. Yeah. Um, do something different, you know, and talk to yourself. You know, really talk to yourself. Um, hash out those energies that might still be within. You know, acknowledge things that may be hindering you to move forward. Um, but that that takes you know that takes days and that takes time and you got to take and only you can take that time. Nobody else is going to take it for you. Nobody else is going to say. Nobody else is going to be like uber happy to tell you take a break. So you you're going to have to do that for yourself. So, yeah, just take your time. Claim your time, baby. Claim it. Yes. Ooh, I just need a church fan right now because right you the- just said a word. <laughs> you just Go ahead, open the doors of the church. Go ahead and get that, that, that offer the plate pa- circling. Yes, and the pastor said amen. <laughs> Don't so- move me there too early. <laughs> So I know you've probably gotten this request a lot of times. What's that? Can you sing us out? Sing something because I just want to be serenaded by your voice. Just for one moment. (laughs) Just for one moment. She wants to be loved. Just for a feeling. Some kissing and touching old school love, that 90s feeling. She just wants to be loved. Well, I can't help but help her. I hope that was good for you. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, there you go. Yes. Thank yes. you. Yes. <laughs> Let me wipe these tears from my eyes real right. quick. <laughs> Just live. That was fabulous. That was beautiful. Appreciate Luke, it. thank you so much for being on our show. Can you tell our listeners um, what current projects you're working on? You said you're working on Star. Are there any other projects that you want to plug on the podcast and also where folks can find you on the internet and your social media handles? Uh, well, I did an independent film that I can't mention just yet, but it's with a an awesome, beautiful woman uh, uh, that directed the hell out of this, this short, which is pretty crazy. Um, it is called The Last Two Lovers. Um, and that's all I can give on it. Um, <laughs> I'm working on trying to do more stuff right now. It's just a star and, uh, I'm working on music and you can find me, uh, if you type my name, Luke James in this beautiful thing called Google or Bing or whatever, is, whatever, whatever it is you fancy. 
all that is me will come up and yeah that's uh, that's it yeah wolf james at instagram i don't know what else to say thank you you said it all right there thank you thank oh, you so much yeah. thank you <laughs> perfect that's it oh thank you thank you luke I'll do this three times now. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain I have it. This <laughs> is good rehearsal. This is good media training. <laughs> appreciate it. We appreciate you. And um, yeah, we would look forward to having you back. Please feel free to come back anytime it's convenient for you. No, I'm looking forward to that playlist too. Yes. Playlist. I will conjure up a playlist for you soon. ASAP. Very soon. Amy Aniobi is a producer and writer known for Silicon Valley, Lisa and Amy are Black, and The Slutty Years. She is currently a producer for HBO's Insecure. Welcome to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host, Amy Aniobi writer, producer, actress. She is on Insecure. She has been producing that now for the last couple of seasons, and it was just recently announced that there is going to be a season three, so everybody is super excited, and we here over at Black Girl Nerds are huge fans of Insecure. If you don't know already, we live the tweet the show every Sunday night under the hashtag SoInsecure. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Thanks for having me. I've been a fan of your podcast for like a good year. So I'm so stoked to be on as a guest. Oh my gosh, that's so flattering. <laughs> Thank you. I would like to introduce our lovely co-host Joy on this episode of the podcast. Joy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Congratulations for getting renewed for a third season. So, We're very excited. Yes, yes. Let's talk about season two, because it's still currently running, and there's lots to talk about with the character development that's happened over the last year. Um, Here on Insecure, Issa and Lawrence's relationship, I've noticed, is even messier than it was in season one. Um, But yet it's so real and so relatable. Is there drama based on any real-life situations, or um, was it completely made up just for TV? Um, I mean, it's so, like, there are 12 writers who, 12 fantastically funny, talented writers who make up the room for Insecure, and all of us have been in relationships and out of relationships and, like, and have, or have gotten out of relationships and have, like, worked through the struggles of, like, finding love in your 20s and 30s, and so, like, it's, every story is an amalgamation of so many people's experiences. It's so wonderful, those moments in the room where, like, someone will say, oh, man, this, this like, uh, total bullshit happened to me. And someone else will pick up on that and be like, oh, my God, that happened to me, but it happened like this. And, like, that's how those stories circulate. It's so, like, funny when you realize, like, art imitates life or life imitates art <laughs> when <laughs> things are happening. Like, I know even during the shooting of uh, these, uh, these first couple episodes, I was going through a breakup which was really rough and like moments we were on stage, like we're shooting things happening and I'm getting texts from my ex that relate to what's happening on set. And I'm like, Oh wow, we're good writers. 
So it's like those moments where you're just kind of like, oh, like it really works when you have like this hive mind of amazing writers coming together and like building a moment. Um, because if you are tapping into what 12 people are tapping into, you're probably like uh, latching on to something universal. And I remember us having a discussion before we did an interview with you, or I did an interview with you on the Get It Right podcast over at Rewire Radio, and we were talking about the writer's room and um, how it's predominantly made up of of people of color, which is amazing. Um, you don't hear that often on major network shows, which is a shame, For but sure. I'm glad that yeah. um, Insecure has that. So it sounds like you guys all collectively kind of pull from your own experiences in, in creating this storyline for Issa and Lawrence. Yeah, we have, we have uh, like uh, five black women, including Issa. We have four gay writers. We have a straight white guy. We have a straight black guy. Um, we have a, a gay black guy. It's like there, there's like such a mix of voices in there. And then even we have different backgrounds. Like there are people who grew up bougie from day one. There are people who grew up lower middle class and rose to bougie. There are people who still remember what it was like to like eat popcorn for two meals a day. You know, so it's like we have such a mix. And I love that. Like you realize that like through diversity of voice, you get diversity of story. And it's not about like having a token person in the room. Like, Oh, what were your experiences? Speak to me, Negro. It's more like, how can we all together realize that our experiences are unique and yet um, informed by the thing, the life that we're all seeing, you know? It's like you might have grown up in Inglewood or Issa might have grown up in Inglewood and I grew up in Dallas, Texas and we had different upbringings, but uh, at the end of the day, we were both black women who had to experience certain types of prejudice or certain types of doubt or self-doubt or judgment. And um, those are all things that are going to inform every single character. I think one of the storylines that excites me the most is like Molly's storyline of not being in the in crowd, which is something like at her workplace, like she's struggling with uh, realizing that she makes less money than a white man. And even on that, there's another layer that she's not part of the white boys club. Mm -hmm. And it's like a club that like, that's what can in some ways, quote unquote, guarantee you success. But also, how do you access it when you have two strikes? You've got a vagina and you've got a jacket you can't take off. So how do you mm. even get in that club? And it's like the, watching her struggle to try is like, oh, it hits you in the heart because you know you've lived those moments. Like who in corporate America as a black person has not lived those moments? Um, and those are things like in the room. We taught even our showrunner's wife, who is a lawyer, like she shared stories through him about like, bullshit that she might have gone through or her friends her colleagues went through and uh we had so many stories like that that all informed this storyline and we realized oh shit like this isn't one person's story this is like a lot of people's stories um and those moments are really cool even though they're sad because they're true (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but they're very relatable and that's what is you know attracts so many people to the show so, Amy, I recently read that you and Phoebe Robinson are creating a series for Amazon called Homecoming Queen. Can you tell us a little bit about yes. that? Yeah, it's it's mostly still under wraps, so I can't say no. much. But what I will say is <laughs> Phoebe and I have been friends for years. And in the craziness of life, like when I was living in New York, I was writing for the Michael J. Fox show. And Phoebe and I had both written for an online publication about dating. So this is just about social media, creating opportunities. Um, I cold messaged her on Twitter and I was like, long time fan. 
<laughs> first time caller. Uh, you want to hang out? And bless her heart, she said yes. I was oh. like, I still don't know why she said yes. She was just like, yeah, let's get brunch. And we did. And it was like that thing where you're like feeling someone out like, are you crazy? Are we cool? And then we realized like how like similar we are and like work ethic and what we want to do and like how we feel about the industry. It's like you don't always vibe you know like you might be friendly with someone but not necessarily vibe in like a let's work together kind of way and it just like so happened that like we really hit it off and we've been true friends like ever since then and when this opportunity came up like uh she guest starred on the new jill soloway show i love dick that's on amazon right now mm-hmm. and um jill and amazon really loved her and they were like we want to work with you and she was like oh, cool well if i write anything i want to write it with my girl amy and i was like that's so awesome like when moments like that happen where you're in the orbit of someone through a genuine connection and then it turns into something else like I think that those are the best like creative collaborations um, in this field. I think sometimes, sometimes people like kind of try and force it with someone they don't know. And that can be awkward. Mm-hmm. But I think when you know, like, Hey, I already know you on one level and I feel like we would work well in this. Let's try it out. Um, so all I can say about the show right now is that if you can't tell from the title, it's about her uh, uh, moving back home. Um, so that's really all I can say until like we find out, like, you know, until Amazon says more <laughs> but we're really excited about it we're stoked um you know just continuing uh sharing like you know some black girl magic uh, through every channel that we can <laughs> and i feel like you two are my tribe so i'm so excited about this project i can't wait till you can tell us more about it awesome awesome <laughs> i i i'm excited for the chance and um i'll have to just email you jamie and be like cats out of the bag let's chat <laughs> <laughs> so one, again, thank you so much for, for joining us so we can fangirl with you a little bit. And I love the excitement that you have about your upcoming projects. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Insecure. So how did you become a, a producer on Insecure? And how did you meet Issa and the team? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's a, another like story of like a long uh, friendship coming to fruition or something else. So Issa and I went to college together, but I didn't know her in, in school. She was a year younger than me. Um, but fast forward to, I, I moved abroad after college and like, uh, kind of like goofed off overseas and then came to LA at the same time that people from her class were moving to LA. So I was friends with more people from her class and her producing partner on her web series, Aqua Black Girl, who's named Tracy Oliver, who just wrote Girls Trip, which Mm -hmm. is in theaters now. Everybody go see it. Tracy was my little sib at Stanford. Like she was like, I was the upperclassman who like, you know, it was like, hey, these, them be the ropes. And like, I was completely useless because she is uh, thriving on her own. Um, <laughs> but she was like, I'm producing this show with my friend Issa from Stanford called Aqua Black Girl. And I was like, dope. And Tracy asked me at the time, they just like produced, I think, one or two episodes. She was like, would you like to submit a script uh, to be considered as a writer? And I was in grad school at UCLA at the time uh, getting my MFA in screenwriting. And I very cockily said to her, like, girl, I'm in grad school. That's my submission. (laughs) (laughs) I was like such an asshole. And she was like, okay, great. Well, we'll take you. And I was like, and now I'm so grateful that she like dealt with, I was like, oh my God, I could have like, like, I didn't know what Awkward Black Girl was. I was like, yeah, I'll write for a web series. I'm not submitting a script. And like, fast forward to, they actually said, yes, Awkward Black Girl blew up. And um, it got bought by Pharrell's channel. It was my first paid writing job. 
Um, our writer's room of four people would meet in my apartment living room uh, once a week or, or maybe every other week. Um, and we'd break story together just like a writer's room. Um, we'd do punch up and then uh, Issa and her crew would take it. Issa would put her wraps in. We'd leave gaps for her wraps just like we do on uh, uh, Insecure Now. Uh, we all take a stab at the wraps now. Let's be honest. Like we actually had a wrap off. It was pretty great. There was an episode where two writers both wanted to write the rap. <laughs> so <laughs> they both wrote their own version. And Issa was like, yeah, these are great, great, great first edit. Uh, I'm going to go at it though. Uh, so we all, we all like chime in. I was, uh, yeah, but so back then, yeah, I, I started writing for Aqua Black Girl and every job I've had since then, like I would always email Issa and say like, Hey, I'm working on this show now, but girl, you say the word and I will be out of here. I will leave these white people behind. And I was like, <laughs> you just tell me when I will jump. <laughs> I think I told her when Insecure got picked up, I was like, I am standing in a field with no trees, not wearing camouflage. You can find me. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, just say the word. Cause I just, I loved working with her so much. Like she's so from day one, so supportive and so loyal and also is so in command of her voice knows what she wants and like is just like very good at writing her characters and um to have that clarity of vision at the top of your project is like hard to find sometimes i think uh very often in this industry it, it just it could be complicated to keep a voice pure through all of the rounds of notes and all of the rounds of like producers coming and going and once it gets to stages and once it gets to editing and all this stuff things can get lost and I find that when I find people who have clarity of vision, it makes me hungry to work with them. Um, I felt the same thing when I worked on um, Silicon Valley. Like when I met with those guys, I was like, oh, they know the show they want to make. And that was really exciting. And, um, and I think that that, that doesn't always happen. Um, so yeah, so that was how I came into the fold. Um, and when the show got picked up, I was so happy that um, I was given an opportunity to continue working with her. Yeah, that's awesome. So you wrote episode two, Hella Questions, for this season of Insecure. And I got to tweet to you that it was an episode of Transitions, which ha that's how I felt after watching the episode. What were you trying to accomplish in this episode? And what, what was it a point of acceptance for Lawrence and Issa? Yeah, so th this episode was, yeah, it's about transition. It's about the space in between, you know, when you have, like, come to terms with what you did. And therefore, you hope that the person on the other side also has, but you can't control what they're going through. So um, it really is about Issa's character wanting to control what's happening. And, and like at the end of the day, it's not your decision if he forgives you. It's not your decision if he chooses to come back to you. Um, and that's really hard. Uh, to know that like it, it's out of it's out of your hands. Um, so that was really the transition that we were living in. Um, and then also on Molly's side, her identifying the problem, uh, what, what was happening at work, like just realizing like where things had kind of like what had gone wrong. Um, and then on Lawrence's side, him answering the question of, am I ready to move on? Is this what I want? You know, and I think that so all three of those stories are asking yourself the question, like, am, am I ready to face this thing? And yes, every episode in essence is, am I ready to face whatever problems or storyline has come at you? 
but I think uh, for people at this stage in their life, ending your first huge relationship or moving up at your first big job or getting your first like adult solo apartment, like those are big turning points in um, a 20 something's life. Uh, so we really wanted to highlight that. So let's transition to something that's a little controversial with Insecure. Um, there's been some concerns about... I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I already know what you're going to say. I know already. Notice how I got a little serious condoms. with my you're voice. Talk to me about <laughs> <laughs> how did I know? <laughs> All right, lay it on me. Go ahead. Okay, well, you know, some fans are concerned about the lack of condom use on the show. And recently, Prentice Penny, the TV showrunner, yeah. um, addressed it on Twitter. So I was just curious to know what your thoughts were on fan feedback on that. Yeah, you know what's so surprising? I was so shocked. The first time I saw a tweet, someone tweeted, like, at me and was like, uh, is Issa wearing condoms? And I was like, what? This is TV. Like, literally, our first reaction, I think, as writers and creators, were like, this is TV. It's about telling the story. If the story that we wanted for this character involved her not wearing condoms and, and having a situation, then we would highlight that. But mm-hmm. because that's not the story we're trying to tell, we're not. And I feel like I know that our sex scenes, as evidenced by conversations I've had with my mother, our sex scenes are very explicit and very, you know, it's not, it's, it's not TV, it's HBO. So I feel like I think maybe that's why people are taking a right it. But I mean, like, is anybody asking Olivia Pope if she's wearing condoms? Is anyone asking? You know, like, it, it was a little surprising to me that the guy, so I was like, what? You know, I'm like, there's so much sex on TV. And the last time I saw someone like go like, where's my direct? I don't even know. Um, so I, I think for me, um, for as, as writers, I think it's not, it's, we kind of just assume, yes, at some point a condom was grabbed and that was cut out in the edit because that's not the hot part. Um, I do think like we did explore for a while having a, a, a storyline about that. And then we were just like, but that's not the story we're telling right now. You know, it's like, it might be something we explore in the future. I I really was like a little surprised by the number of people who spoke up because I'm like, I don't know. It's just a lot of people have a lot of sex through a lot of media and nobody's wearing anything. So (laughs) yeah, I was a little surprised. It's, I mean, so be it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you've got fans jumping to conclusions now because there's a fan theory that Issa may be pregnant because of that scene where she's, um, painting the wall and then she's talking to to molly on the phone and she gets a little dizzy and she she's like I almost, yeah oh. so people think that she may be having like morning sickness theory. i mean keep watching and find out keep <laughs> watching and find out i love that theory yeah yeah so that's that's what's circulating on the webs okay well good i, I appreciate yeah. you addressing that because yeah it's it's something that apparently has been controversial among the folks on social media and people that live tweet the show. So they want to know what's going on. with the What, what I have to say is, yeah, what I really like the conversation shows me is how many people wear condoms, which I'm very happy about. You know, yeah. I'm like the conversation. I was like, Oh, what really? And then I was kind of like, Oh my God, look how safe our people are. And I was like, that's great. I'm like, I'm happy to hear that. So <laughs> that's all. I, if I can say one message, like maybe it's not shown in the edit. But let it be in the edit of your life. Put on a condom. Right. <laughs> Everybody put on a condom. 
So I have a new favorite character this season, which is oh Chad. Oh my god. I love Chad. Oh. He's amazing. And he's now a meme. Um <laughs> when he was sipping on that Wait, beet I juice. Seen the meme. Oh, sipping on the juice. Yeah, when he's sipping on the beet juice, yes, that is the new um sipping tea meme, I guess you could the call tea. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um do you have a new favorite character this season or do you have any favorites at all? I mean, well, really quickly about Chad, we love writing for his character. And Neil Brown Jr., who plays him, is, like, one of the hardest-working uh, men in showbiz right now. And he, like, brings so much life to that character. He's so fun to write for because his energy is amazing. And he's game for all of the long-winded little blurbs that we give him to say. So mm-hmm. shout-out to him. Like, he does such a great job with the character Chad, exactly how we envisioned him. Um, and as for me, my favorite character this season um, – well, I, I'm going to go out and say, like, my favorite character right now is Tasha. Because I think people come hard on her. Yeah. People are so hard on Tasha and blame her for Lawrence and Issa ending. And I'm like, she ain't have nothing to do with that. And frankly, when she did show up and present herself as an option for Lawrence, he said, I have a girlfriend, and she backed the fuck down. So I was like, props to Tasha for being a real woman and stepping aside when a man said no, as opposed to continuing to pester him. And then... Here she is at season two. Every time they've had a conversation, she's given him an out and he's come back in. And the one mistake I think she made was hashtag you hungry. I think when she's like, you hungry? I'm like, Tasha, no. Tasha, why? And that to me is the one moment where she faltered by saying like, I'm going to believe his words instead of his actions, which come on, actions speak louder than words. So that was the one thing. But I'm like, Beyond that, I feel like people are so hard on her, and I'm not sure why. And I think, actually, no, I think what I'll say, I think why is because people see themselves in her. They see themselves as people who have made these mistakes, who have made relationships out of stuff that wasn't real, and who have hung on on and clung on to hope uh, when they didn't need to, and um, who have convinced themselves of something that isn't true. So I think, uh, if anything, even though people are taking that on Tasha, it's because it's easier to take it out on the character instead of to look inward at themselves. Um, but my heart feels for Tasha because, like, she just wants a, a, a good black man. And unfortunately, it's not Lawrence right now. I think she did win over some fans this past week when she read Lawrence at the end of the episode. Oh, yes. Yeah, so. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She got some cheers from us on I that loved... One. I. Yeah, I love seeing the memes of, like, Lauren's hives, uh, like, burrowing into the ground, oh Lauren's hive jumping into a jacket and hiding <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> like, Lauren's hive was like, buzz, buzz, be gone. Uh, they're like, we got to be a little quiet now. <laughs> uh, it was, that, that was great. That was epic. <laughs> so you also created the YouTube series Between Two Busts. So for those who aren't familiar, what is the series about? Oh my gosh, thank you for noticing that. Yeah, it's an animated series, each episode about a minute long, and it's women from history having conversations about modern topics. Um, I was brought on as a writer through, I have a friend, her name's Kaylee, um, Kaylee Rose, and she's a voiceover actor, and she had these talented women who all do voice work, and she's like, we just want to work on a project together. Do you happen to know a writer who would want to write some like all-female-driven project? And I was like, me, I'm that writer. I'm the, I know me, and I would like to do that. Um, and so I was so grateful that they brought me on, and we wanted to do something that was, um, you know, uh, consumable by parents, children, 
like young, old, whatever, uh, something that like had a little bit of a message without beating you over the head. Um, so we had a lot of fun. We have like conversations like Marilyn Monroe talking about not having a thigh gap and if she should go on a diet because everyone knows Marilyn Monroe was a bigger woman. We have like uh, Anna Mae Wong, who's the first Asian actress in uh, the United States, like the first like Hollywood starlet a- Asian actress, talking about how she has to play parts as a samurai but it's fine because she's getting paid as much as Bradley Cooper. It's like those kind of conversations that I feel like women are having today, um, but set in the backdrop of learning just a little bit about history and learning about these women from the past. Okay, cool. Um, I got to ask, you were the one who was playing the tw- the flute and twerking in episode three of Insecure, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, you are correct. You are uh, correct. No, I, that was me. I'm a real journalist. I did my Googles on this. Who came up with that? (laughs) Oh, my God. So in season one, all the writers did cameos in their episode or as close to their episode as possible. Um, And I played the flute in episode six um, at the Jesus play. Um, And so in season two, Issa was like, I want everyone to reprise their cameo. And some of them were stretched, like someone who was a, uh, a valet in season one is now a waiter someone who was uh, a barista in season one is now an Uber driver, but it's like, you know, it's kind of tangentially like could be the same human because it was real life. Uh, but my ass stayed playing the flute. Um, <laughs> and you know, the mask off challenge that like hit the internet a few months back around the time that we were writing these was like the very first mask off challenge I saw was a girl standing in a field by a train track and a chain link fence. I don't know why she was there, uh, but she was playing mask off and playing the, the solo at the front on the flute. And then she started twerking. And we just, like, we saw it in the room and we were like, that's hilarious. And then Issa was like, girl, you're going to be twerking with that flute at this barbecue. And so uh, got written into the script and um, I, I got flames from the internet. Someone said my twerk needs work and they're not wrong. Um, I'm not a great twerker but it's very complicated to play the flute and twerk at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine that. That was funny. We, we watched, I watched it. I was like, wait, I got to run this back. What is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I, I love I, that the camera like cuts to me and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> that was the highlight of the episode. I was like, I have seen everything now flute and twerking at a barbecue. Okay. That's oh, and the director, our amazing director, Marta Cunningham, for that episode, she, like, had so much fun on set being like, um, let's re- turn around, let's reverse the twerk, let's twerk one more time, camera's on you, Amy, twerk, please. And I was just like, do we need to shoot this nine times? <laughs> I was like, you got it from all the angles. <laughs> got to get it right. <laughs> yep, got to get it right. <laughs> So, Amy, thank you so, so much for coming on our show. This was a fantastic, fun interview. I really enjoyed chatting with you again. Um, Are there any new projects that you're currently working on? And also, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on the interwebs and your social media shout outs? Yeah, for sure. Um, Right now, I'm I'm working on some development ideas uh, in the feature space and TV space. Um, and so nothing that I can like talk about yet, uh, but hopefully soon. And then, um, yeah, you can find me on the internet. I'm Jay Aniobi. Aniobi is my last name. It's spelled A-N-I-O-B-I, um, on everything. So I'm Jay Aniobi on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This was fun. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. 
Wolf is a TV series developed by Jeff Davis for NTV. It's loosely based on the 1985 film of the same name and stars Tyler Posey, a teenager named Scott McCall, who's bitten by a werewolf and must cope with how it affects his life and the lives of those closest to him. Teen Wolf premiered on June 5th of 2011, following the 2011 MTV Movie Awards. On July 9th of 2015, Teen Wolf was renewed for a sixth season of 20 episodes, which premiered on November 15th of 2016. This year at Comic-Con, the sixth season would in fact be the series finale. The following segment features showrunner Jeff Davis, actor Tyler Posey, and actor Kylan Rambo. Last time here, I think. No, this is the last time we'll see you. This is the last time we'll see you. You might be right. Oh, <laughs> uh, what does that mean? Um, I have some other projects cooking. Good. Okay. Uh, we'll see. I'm All working right. on taking a break, though. Are you going to stay in this genre? Mm, very likely. Uh, we shot a pilot for Let the Right One In. Did work out with TNT, but it looks like it may be working out with another network. So we'll see. Um, and also, I still have War of the Worlds with MTV that we're working on, Excellent. which would be really fun. Will you be repeating working with any of our uh, Team Wolf actors? I hope so. I want to hire everyone again. If Ryan Murphy can do it, why can't I? So, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So how did you approach who you were going to bring back for the final season? Because obviously we see some people that left and yeah. then are now returning. Were there people that you tried to get that couldn't come back? Or how did you, did you go uh, off of the story? There were one or two. Some, some of it was, uh, how many can I fit in? Mm. I'll, tell, I'll tell you, writing the finale was a challenge because there's like 20-something main characters <laughs> and it's giving everyone their moment. Um, I wanted Daniel Sharman back in, but he was off shooting Fear the Walking Dead. Daniel and I uh, had been texting a lot and talking about possibility of coming back, but uh, he's the one I, re I regret not getting back. Um, there are, of course, other characters that I would love to have brought back, but it it's kind of still has to be dictated by the story. Otherwise, it feels like you're just shoving everyone in for a cameo. So what's the overall arc then of the... The last season? Yeah, it's, that you're allowed to share anyway. It's about fear, and it's about uh, Scott and his friends becoming pariahs again in Beacon Hills. It's about, uh, it's a little bit uh, of a, um, what's the, not a metaphor, analogy is the right word, uh, for the current goings on, mm. about uh, being an outsider, about feeling left out, or about feeling... Uh, uh, sort of as though you're, um, the world is against you. Um, so that's kind of how they are. It's, it's the rise of new hunters, and it's about a creature that preys upon you uh, and preys upon fear. So. Did you always want to end the series this way, or has it changed no. over the years? It's, uh, it's changed. It's, um, I thought this show was over season five. <laughs> <laughs> That was meant to be a series finale, in a, in a way, but um, then the network said, you got to do more. And I said, how many more? And they said, 20. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, and then it was working around schedules for certain actors, like Dylan O'Brien, we knew he had a film schedule to do, so we knew we weren't going to get him as a series regular for the whole, for the whole thing. And I'd had this idea about uh, doing a season where 
uh, everyone forgets styles. Um, and then this last season sort of came about naturally in thinking about Scott uh, and going back to the main character of Scott and what is it like for him to finally say goodbye to Beacon Hills and to leave it, uh, which is sort of my own goodbye to Beacon Hills and what was it like to do that. So, um, one of the great things that I personally love about Teen Wolf is that how every season always had like a different theme, a different mm -hmm. mythology. Yeah. So, just as a writer, how um, how do you decide like which mythology you're going to go with, what new stories you're going to bring in, and how that tied into writing the final season? It, it comes out of um, you first as a writer, uh, you have to ask yourself, what do you want to say? Um, and as the election was happening and uh, the, the, you could see it across the world, the country becoming more and more fearful of the outsider. It just seemed like, I remember when I sat down with the writers and I said, I've been working on this idea. Tell me what you guys think of this. And then it just branched out from there. And it's really, it made it, because it, in season five, you, we had the, the moments of where people see Scott and they see what he is. They've seen him, they know. It's, it's not just rumors anymore, and it's not just uh, uh, people saying things and nobody believing. Everybody kind of knows, and it was branched out of that idea. What if they know, and what if they become afraid of him? And what if uh, they become pariahs again? So it kind of branched out from there. So we'll see. <laughs> so do you think with the finale, everything comes full circle, or do you think there'll still be questions that we have? You know, it's hard to do a show that's serialized and has this much mythology and not leave questions. Like, I still have a lot of questions about Lost. <laughs> <laughs> I know, what was that? What was this? So it's really hard to do that. Um, so there will always be lingering questions because there's so much raised. But uh, for me, the characters come full circle. Uh, the last episode, the final scene was something I'd been thinking about for a while. And um, I, I feel like when I, when I watched it the, with temp music and our first cut of it, it felt right. So hopefully it feels right to the fans. Would you like to revisit these characters sometime in the future? Like come back to a, just a one-off kind of project to see? Well, if you read The Hollywood Reporter, MTV would like to see that. Uh, <laughs> about, uh, how about you? Yeah, how about right. you? You know, I'm still so close to it that the idea of a reboot is, yeah. is kind of like, sounds like a lot of work right now, but um, there are some lingering threads in the, in the last season that uh, we can easily revisit. And I, I think the new president of MTV, Chris McCarthy, has a real... He's got a great vision for how to reestablish the brand. Um, so if Team Wolf can be part of that, that's great. Um, and we are talking about doing this podcast, um, which could be really fun as well. So we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. Okay, looking back at the seasons now, um, who was your favorite big bad, mm -hmm. and was there a big bad that you wanted to do more with? Um, Say one of my, it's hard to pick favorites. Yeah. No Styles. No Nogit, was <laughs> when Aaron Hendry came in to play the the bandaged man. Uh, I absolutely loved him. Um, that's one of my personal favorites. Peter, who's no longer a big bad, uh, was he was a great 
villain in the first season. He was the original alpha. Um, it's hard to pick favorites, but I, I love them. You know, it's, I'm proud, one of the things I'm most proud of is our villains, our sort of rogues gallery. They feel sort of weirdly iconic now. Berserkers, uh, Nogitsune, the Oni. Um, I mean, the Oni is a Japanese demon, but if you Google it now, my Oni come up. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so. great. Well, we see that Derek is coming back, so I think a lot of people want to know, are we going to get more of the banter between him and Styles that was so electric, and everybody always loved like how funny it was like yeah. when they're arguing and bickering with each other. Yeah, that was one of the things I was looking forward to writing in the in the last episode was the return of Styles and Derek together. So, and they're they're bickering and they're they they, they have great comedic chemistry those yeah. two characters. Um, and they love playing it too. So you will see that, yes. What, what are you hoping that the show's legacy will be? Um, I hope that people remember it with fondness. I hope that uh, that people say, oh yeah, Teen Wolf, I used to love that show. That was a great show and it was one of my favorite shows when I was growing up. I mean, I, that's how I feel about the X-Files. I didn't watch every season of the X-Files. Uh, I didn't even see the last movie, but that was a seminal show for me. Um, I, I hope people feel that way about it, that like that, like I feel about my favorite shows. So you said in the uh, in the panel yesterday, you were talking about how you never expected for the show to reach a hundred episodes. No, I thought five seasons maybe. 60 episodes would be an amazing run. 100 episodes, I'm shocked I survived. <laughs> well, at what, at what point did you realize, like, oh, wow, this, this show has really taken off, like, this is the real, this is the real deal? Third season, okay. when we didn't have a lead-in, and our ratings were, did better than ever, even as the, even as the industry had already started, transitioning from Nielsen ratings to streaming uh, uh, numbers. It's, it's funny because uh, I, I thought, okay, we, don't, we didn't have the MTV Movie Awards premiering before us and we still did really good ratings. And, and then it was also, it was coming here and our first time in Ballroom 20 where we had 2,000 something people or 3,000 is in Ballroom 20, I think. Um, and I remember the moderator, Jarrett Wiseman, Wiseman from uh, BuzzFeed, is, turns to me, he's like, there are a lot of people out there. <laughs> he's like, I've never done this. <laughs> I said, neither have I. <laughs> and we walked on stage and everybody screamed. And it was, I was like, wow, people really do like the show. So it was around season three. Yeah. That was also the hardest I've ever worked in my life, doing those 24 episodes. So I put my heart and soul into that season. You know what's interesting? You're talking about this now. Um, for someone like you in social media, now your face is kind of out there too. So do you have the same uh, situations happening where people walk up to you randomly and they know they you do. and they're like, hey, <laughs> start talking to you about the show? It's a little strange because I'll be somewhere and I'll just be doing whatever normal thing I'm doing and some teenage girl will do this. <laughs> And I'll kind of smile and be like, hi. <laughs> it's, it's a little bizarre to get recognized. Yeah. So. Does it happen often? No, not that often. <laughs> Probably more so at Comic-Con. Yes, a lot more, much more so. I get 
at airports sometimes they'll recognize me and someone's mother will come up and say, can my daughter take a picture with you? And there'll be some nervous girl standing, <laughs> standing off in the distance and I'll be like, absolutely. <laughs> so it's very, it's very flattering, uh, especially for a writer. Do you have a favorite episode that you've ever written? I, I put a lot of love into the finales. Um, I would say I love both 312 and 324, the, those finales. Um, 312, the one where Scott becomes a true alpha and his eyes change. and um, that, that episode was so hard to shoot. We were doing three units at a time, um, trying to make it amazing. 324 because um, I just, I loved the, the fruition the, 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 of the, all the coming together of this, the Void style storyline and and facing the Nogitsune and um, I, I love those episodes. But there are a couple. Uh, it's hard to pick. Um, I love. I also love Five Hundred One because of the moment um, that Scott writes uh, Allison's initials on in the library. Uh, it's hard to kill a character off, but then you get to do moments like that, which are extremely meaningful. Um, so it's funny, I, people ask me, would you go back and kill Al do Allison's death the same way? I don't know, but then I wouldn't have gotten that scene if we hadn't. And I really like that scene. And it's also a way of showing how teenagers can deal with death and, and not just be sad about it, but memorialize a friend who meant something to them. So um, I can't say I have a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> of all the characters, uh, you know, it's it's funny. Styles has a lot of my sense of humor. I, I would write Styles' voice. People would tell me they hear hear my voice in Styles, but uh, Peter has a lot of my cynicism. <laughs> I would say he's very close to my voice as well. Well, Scott is the kind of person I wish I could be. <laughs> so, how do you uh, write the parents on the show? Like, I, one of the things I love the most about Team Wolf is that the teens actually have parents that are yeah. involved in their lives. Yeah, so. that was a big question actually when we first started the show because we were trying to negotiate the cast salaries, and the network asked me, "Well, how much are the parents really going to be in the show? Shouldn't we just..." booked them for like three episodes and I said no they're going to be important they have to be important because it, it was it went back to um you remember the first Nightmare on Elm Street where the dad's just a bumbling idiot and he's like they're useless I didn't want useless parents um I wanted them to be more like the adults in Harry Potter who were allies uh that's how I wrote them as allies and I kind of based them on uh, like Melissa is completely based on my own mother, um, even down to words that are similar that she's spoken to me. Um, but uh, Stalinsky was just a fun way of exploring this father-son relationship. Um, I mean, Lyndon was just as uh, important in creating that character as, as I was in writing his dialogue. So. Thank you. All right, Thank thanks, you. guys. Nice to see you all. <laughs> How are you? Good. You're a director Good. now. I am. You have to tell us about that. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking about it not too long ago, and I've been doing stuff since I was a kid. I would always grab a camera 
and I would, gra I would grab my little brother and be like, stand there and say this. And I'd point at him and yell at him, and then he, it, when he wouldn't do what I said, I would get really mad and cry. <clears throat> and that's still kind of how I direct. Uh, but I used to film stuff all the time with my brother, and then, you know, as technology advanced, I would start to edit on the computer. And I was like 12 years old, I would make skate videos with my friends. So I'd always kind of been interested in, in it, and... Um, and I always loved. I always loved it. It, was, it always seemed like a, like something I was so interested in, it was like a little passion. And then as the years went on, Teen Wolf, I, I I wasn't fulfilled enough as an actor, so I started producing not too long after the show started. Um, and then I always expressed interest in directing, and I've been directing shorts with my friends, um, where I'm not in them. I'm just doing all the camera work. I love doing camera work. I think I think I like that more than anything. I love operating camera. It's so much fun. Um, and, and so I always expressed interest in it, and then I, I, I said I wanted to direct. I, I was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if they'll let me. And then they said, okay. And I, I, I think at first they were just kind of appeasing me. Um, but then they really started to see how, it, how invested in it I was and how serious I took it. And uh, I think everyone was pretty impressed with me, um, which, was a really, which was a really sweet interaction and, and reaction from them. And, and I really appreciated that. Uh, but uh, yeah, directing was the coolest. I finally, I really, for a long time on Teen Wolf, I kind of struggled a little bit because acting isn't my favorite thing, and I, um, I, I don't, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I felt like I wasn't fulfilled enough. And then I directed, it and it was great. I had a great time, and then it kind of made me enjoy acting more. And uh, it was just, it was needed, and it was great. And I, I, I can't wait for you guys to see it, and I hope that I get to do more shows, movies in the future, and I think it's the start of something, so I wasn't just doing it just to get a credit. I really want to do this. Are there any projects that you're going to be doing that you can tell us about? Directing-wise? No. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm directing stuff with my friends. Um, we're editing a short right now that's going to be like a five-part series, and then we're editing another short. Uh, so we have all this stuff filmed, we got all these ideas, um, but nothing, nothing like official, you know, it's all stuff that we're doing. Um, but I've, I've had talks with my friends from MTV and, and they, they've said that they're interested in maybe bringing me and doing an episode of some other MTV show or something like that, which I would be, you know, honored and humbled and uh, not worthy, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see. So you really have grown up with this show, so what does it mean to you? The show? Um, it's hard to explain what it means to me. It's like a, it's like a loved one. It really is. It's something that I love a lot, and I, I really view it as 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 a, as a member of my life. Um, it's like a it's like a child that I raised. It's not. It's, it's odd. I've never felt that with anything before. Um, I feel so connected to it. I was watching last year at Comic Con when we heard that the show was coming to an end. I was watching this. Um, this, vi this video of all of the promos that we've done for the show over the years, and I was there for every single one of them, and it really like punched me in the gut, and I was like, oh my god, and I, like I was crying, and uh, it made me, it, 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 that was the first time I really felt like I'm losing this show, and the show it's just changed my life in so many ways, in the best ways possible. And I've gone through the hardest shit on the show, and I've met the, my best friends on the show. And the show has given me opportunities that are gonna help me in my career, in my life. And I, I owe, I owe, I owe everything. I owe a lot to the show, and it was there for me when I needed it. 
and it was it was it, from for a long time it was it was a best friend of mine. Um, I mean, I can't. I I, I I love I love it. I love it like my arm. It's like it's like a a, a part of me. It really is. It's cool. It's really cool. And Jeff was saying that Scott is the type of character that he wishes he was like Scott because he's such a good and pure person. How has playing a character like that affected you on a personal level? I brought a lot of myself to Scott. Um, I like to think that I'm a lot like him, uh, but he has he has inspired me a lot to uh, to keep to keep to, you know keep being a good guy and 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 love your friends and protect your family and. He's just a great leader, you know, and doesn't want anything in return. He just wants people to be happy. Um, and it's, I just admire that a lot, you know. And I think he and I teach each other a lot. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older than him, you know, and uh, I've been around the block a few times. And, uh, you know, I think he learns a lot from me, and I learn a lot from him. Uh, so really, I miss him. I'm going to miss that dude a lot. I, uh, I, I, I like him. I, I want to hang out with him. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's taught me a lot. It looks like they're pulling you away, but... <laughs> Gotta leave right now? Okay. Thank Bye, you. guys. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm gonna miss everybody. We'll see you. I hope so. We'll I again. really hope so. We'll see your work. Okay. Hello. Ready. How are you? I'm really good. How are you guys? Good. So tell us, um, is there something coming up in this last... Uh, episodes in these last episodes that you can't wait for the fans to see. Yeah, uh, two things. Uh, it's each episode that that Lyndon directed and that Posey directed. It's episode thirteen and fourteen. There's see, like let me just prefix it with Mason's always been the the happy-go-lucky guy. He's always been the, the guy that can see the positive no matter how dark things get, but. It's going to be great to see those challenges actually resurface and see how he deals with them. Because there's some very intense, I hate saying that word, because it's my catchphrase, but there's some very intense moments that he's going to experience and he's going to respond in a way that I haven't seen Mason respond. So I think that's what's it's going to be really cool to see. Yeah. What do you have in common with Mason? Oh, man. Uh, friendship, how he values it how he loves his friends, you know, that's why he does the things he does for his friends. It's not just because they're cool, like, he, he, he truly loves the people he's around, and that's something that I, I, I do, and I aspire to, to grow into. Um, I wish I was as brave as him. I say this all the time, but when I really, really, really think of it, like, I would not do half of the things that he does. Like, he, like if most of the danger was real, like, running into it or... Or staying in the middle, not moving away, not you know all of that stuff. I I I admire the bravery for his friends. It's because of how much he loves his friends. So yeah. What can you tease about more of the friendship dynamic between him and Liam in this last run? Right. Well, you know, I, the way I see this uh, final season with Mason and Liam is, you know how St Scott and Styles they got into a groove of of being in the pack and being on missions and, and accomplishing things. They're, they're, they became partners as much as they were best friends. And that's something that I see Mason and Liam doing. You know, it's, it's even though they make each other laugh and they're, they're good friends, they've now become like partners and it's more so like mission oriented. And I, I like that. It's going to be really cool to see that. You could describe the final season in one word. 
Fear. Fear. That's that's the theme of it. Um, yeah. You know, because it's one of those things where everyone responds to fear differently. And that's what's going to be, that's what's going to be cool to see. Because not everyone cowers, not everyone freezes, not everyone fights. And everyone has their own way of expressing that. And that's, that's a big theme of, of the show. And it's, it's very relevant to, to some of the things that are going on today, you know. So yesterday, you were talking about running with an action Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> I, I read in the script, like, that, uh, like, the episode where Mason finds out that Liam's a wolf, that there was an actual wolf, and I was like, oh, this, that's going to be CGI or something. Like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't think that there was going to be a wolf. Like, I just kind of read past it. And then I got to set, and I was like, I should have been more prepared. <laughs> but then I was like, yo, like, that's a wolf. Because like dogs, they they sit at a much lower height than wolves are, and wolves are burly, and like their fur is like it's not fur, it's like crisp, like burnt, like wolf hair. It's crazy. Um, and actually, I remember saying in my head like I love my job, like I because how often can you do that? Like one day you're running from a wolf, next day you got like a weird prosthetic in your in your neck, and you know it's just like a lot of crazy things that I I, I got the privilege to, to to do. So I that was great. It was fun. Scary though. Yeah, I was, about to say, I was that not acting. Scary. You know, actually, it's funny because I actually they had to slow us down, like while we were running, because the wolf was like right behind us. We were running too fast. They're like, just slow down, slow down. Like, no, like, and the crazy part was like Dylan had to stand still because if you remember, like he stops and then he turns around and he growls, but the wolf, it's not trained to just run and then stop. So the wolf actually had to run right past Dylan. So he had to stop, turn around. And the wolf is like headed towards him and runs right past him. I couldn't even look at that. I could not even. Look at that. So the wolf is snarling while it's running. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So with a show like this, your character, you know, is I don't know, like maybe the everyman, like the person. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. All of us really be more invested in the show. Yeah. Can you talk about playing that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's actually really it's a good point because another thing, uh, the the purpose that Mason serves is. He's like the, the connection for the audience because if you're around all these people that find what's going on very normal, it's, it's easy for the audience to kind of just think that it's normal. But having someone that's human that kind of reminds the audience like how crazy this is, it, I think that's a good, good way for the audience to like re remember that. Like this is not just like an everyday danger. This is serious. And so he's like that connection point, just being normal. He's relatable in that sense. If you could have any of the abilities of anyone mm. um, of the characters, what would it be and why? Mm. I like the ability to turn into a wolf. Not a werewolf, like a wolf and like, you know, and then come back to a human. I'd want to do that. That'd be dope. Yeah, I don't know. Do all werewolves do that? Yeah. No, I think you have to be like an alpha. I don't know my own show. <laughs> yes, you're born. I, I'd want that. And then you can change into a wolf. But then, does Derek have to reach a certain Yeah, that's what I remember, like a certain level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, watching uh, Tyler and Lindsay direct, you seem like a pretty creative person. Uh -huh. Would that be something you would be interested in trying? You know, I developed a respect for that. Because any actor that just, oh yeah, I want to direct, and they don't know what they're talking about, they don't know what they're saying. Directing is not just like, oh yeah, it'd be cool, do that, there, do that, there. Directing is knowing the lighting, knowing the, how, you're, how the scene is going to play out before anyone's even on set. 
It's it's so much. It's it's all on them. It's the, they're the front runners. They're the sailboat. You know, like it's all of that. And so, I first have a respect for it, and I and I realized how much there is to learn. But yeah, I would love to do it I, because there's ideas that I have that being a director would most be able to produce those ideas. But it's not something that I just like. Oh, I want to do. It's like it's not like rocket science. You can just oh, I want to rocket science. Like you have to learn that stuff first. So yeah, I have a respect for it. They they did their thing. Like Posey showed up, and so did Lyndon. And yeah, I'm proud of them, and it, it inspired me. Yeah. What was the experience like with getting to work with all the returning actors? Because you've obviously not worked before. I didn't. You didn't? I didn't. Oh, no. no. Uh, yeah, I just got to like, I didn't even get to see them on set. It's because it's like my character happened to be doing a separate mission while Scott and the other pack were reuniting. It was my character doing something, which I physically couldn't even be in the same place they were filming. They scammed you. They scammed me. <laughs> but no, it's cool. I, I got to meet uh, Colton, which was, that was my first time meeting him, which was cool. Um, I met a couple of the other people, like Jeff has parties where we go watch the show, and so I got to meet them through that, but it would have been great to work with them. Yeah, that's always my dream, to one-on-one with every single one of the, the OG Teen Wolf characters. Yeah. That would be cool. Maybe in the future. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. Do you have a favorite scene that you shot? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it actually doesn't have, it's not because of me or what I performed, it's because of Sprayberry. There's a scene. Yeah, it's I, well, you guys already saw the trailer when he, when they pulled him up and it was all blood on his nose. That was a scene. There was no acting involved in that. Like, I remember I was really in it. I I, I mean I'm really in it in all of them, but that was one where I actually forgot I was acting, and that was, was awesome. Because Dylan he, he did a very good job. It was very emotional scene. You know, seeing your friend get hurt like that, it felt real. So you said that this uh, season, you know, describing one word, it would be fear. What do you think the message of our show is about? Right. Uh, well, like I said, it's it's very relevant, and without giving too much away, um, like I said, people respond to fear in a very negative way. Most of the time, they result to doing things that they wouldn't normally do, and I think it's one thing of you can experience the feelings of fear. But don't let it change you. Don't let it uh, make you do something outside of your character. Because once you do that act, it's, you're going to have to live with that. And that's just what I pull from it. I, I think very deeply about it, but the show is going to show some of those elements of that. And, and I think just as people, um, we all get scared, but it's, let's not compromise ourselves because of, we're scared of something. It's, it's more so the time to, to get together rather than divide and do crazy things. I feel like they keep telling us to wrap it up, but then they're never here to come <laughs> yeah, man. support you. Yeah, you guys have more questions. Than <laughs> okay. What else can you what tell up? us about the final uh, Lots of death. That's always it. Right. <laughs> okay. You think you want to keep working in this genre? Are there other genres that you're interested yeah, in? Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I've, uh, it's a dream of mine and I, I plan to accomplish this, but to, to be a, a superhero super powered individual of some sort so yeah i would love it like the fact that i got to play the beast even though i didn't go through any makeup it was cgi that idea alone let me know like this is something i want to do because i've done an action film and from that moment on i was like this is awesome like this is i get to do 
the thing that I watch. Like when I watch action films, I've actually said I want to do that, and I'm doing that at a young age. So I would love for that to continue. You know, anything action, something supernatural and superpowers, I'd love. You're at the right place. Yeah, this is definitely. The Start networking. Yes. Here we go. Nightcrawler. He's a he's a guy who teleports. But like I really like him because he started off teleporting only to where he can see. Yeah. And then he figured out how to teleport anywhere. And that's just like if you really think of it that you're like invincible, like I would love to do that. It's cool. Anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> Is it scary kind of have you anything out of this or do you have stuff set up? Yeah, that's I think one thing that is a lesson in itself, you know, being young and being, uh, you know, I've been working since I was like a kid and, and most kids, when they're kids, they think of kid things. They don't think of their next job, or, you know, supporting or anything. They don't think of that. So when a show ends, of course, that thought, you know, you have to, there's a pressure, but it, that pressure is not bad. It's supposed to motivate you to, to go after it. So yeah, I do, you do sense those feelings like, oh man, the job's over. But it's not, you know, it's always, there's the next one. It's just got to stay in it, stay positive. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>